Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, staff evangelist Josh Davis visits with Marginal Mysteries host and author of the brand new book, The Earth As It Was, Micah Van Huss. God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Watchmen on the Wall brings clarity to the chaos through this radio program, the books and DVDs we produce, and by the conferences we hold all over the country. Our next conference is this coming Saturday, March 11th, in Upland, California. This special one-day conference will feature prophecy teacher Donald Perkins, Dr. Larry Spargimino, Micah Van Huss, Josh Davis, and Larry Stamm. Come join a full lineup of speakers as they bring clarity to the chaos with a full Saturday of insight and information. Space is still available. Register today by calling 1-800-652-1144 or simply visit the events page of our website, swrc.com. Here's Josh Davis and his guest, Micah Van Huss, ready to take a look at the antediluvian world and the overwhelming proof that the flood of Noah happened and changed the earth forever. I am privileged to be joined in the studio with the executive producer of Marginal Mysteries, Micah Van Huss, and this is part of Southwest Radio Ministries, and we are glad that he is on board with our team. Micah, welcome to the program today. Thank you for having me, Josh. It's great to be here. We are mainly discussing Micah's new book, The Earth As It Was. It's available through our ministry at swrc.com, also by calling us at 1-800-652-1144. Over the next two days, we're going to be discussing all kinds of wonderful topics from creation to the firmament to the animals before the flood dinosaurs. We'll be talking about the watchers, the spiritual beings. We'll be talking about the flood itself. We'll get into Nephilim and the post-Diluvian earth and a lot more. And all of this is contents from the earth as it was. What is Marginal Mysteries about? What's the kind of thing that Marginal Mysteries does, Micah? At Marginal Mysteries, we take a look at the things that are in the margins, things that a lot of people don't take a look at, though it is becoming uh, topics such as aliens, UFOs, watchers in the Bible, giants in the Bible. They are becoming more and more mainstream as people get interested in these kind of things. But what we do at Marginal Mysteries is we take a look at the universe, a look at God's Word, everything from a biblical foundation. We're not afraid to ask any questions. We just ask it all. All of this is in the realm of possibilities, and we have some fascinating discussions about all these kinds of things around the office. And so let's jump into the content as the earth as it was, and let's go into creation. Did God create the earth in six literal days? I believe he did, mainly because he says he did. In Exodus chapter 20, he says, for he created the earth in six literal days. Another reason is Adam did not rest for a thousand years on day seven. Now, a lot of folks, they try to fit in evolution into the Bible, and that's obviously not the way to do it. You look at the world through the lenses of the Bible, not the other way around. But no, I do believe God when he says he created it in six literal days. That'll bring us a little bit into time gaps. A lot of people say that, you know, that God used evolution to create the earth. Well, that's not what the Bible says. There is a time gap in the Bible between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2a. 
and then verse 2b, the second half of verse 2. But the gap does not allow for evolution because the earth is just an orb of water for that time. And so I don't think that the time gap in the Bible, uh, in fact, I know it doesn't allow for billions of years of, of evolution. Okay. Well, speaking about the orb of water and the creation of earth, how did, in your opinion, how did God create the earth? This is a fascinating topic. It gets into the power of God's voice. We read many times in Scripture where God's voice or someone speaking with God's power, where their voice appears as fire, as cloven tongues of fire. I think that's more of a being able to see the sound waves as they come out of the person's mouth. So in Genesis chapter 1, how does Scripture say that God created? It says he spoke it. And it happened. Now, Psalms, there's a portion of Psalms that poetically says that he formed the mountains with his hands. But in Genesis 1, God speaks and things happen. God Mm. speaks and there's light. God speaks and the waters are separated. So at the very beginning of creation, there's an orb of water, which I do think that at some point in the past, God created. There's probably multiple orbs of water that God's just waiting to do things with. Anyway, earth was an orb of water. And then God comes to that orb of water. He says, let there be light. And then the second day, he puts an air gap in the middle of the water, and that's called the firmament that separates the waters from above from the waters that are below. Now, I do believe that over a period of time, whether that was days or years after creation, the water that was on top froze into a solid firmament. And we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but yeah, it was an orb of water, and Elohim came to it and, and spoke, and it happened. He spoke, and the dry land appeared. He spoke, and the fishes, the birds, the humans, it all, all happened through the power of his voice. Yeah, that's amazing. So we know part of the Garden of Eden contained the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why did God place that tree in the Garden of Eden in the first place? I think that's one of the most important questions in in our existence, one of the most deepest questions in our existence. So Adam and Eve obviously were created as perfect, sinless beings. And at some point, they disobeyed God and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So that begs the question that you just asked, why did God even put a tree in the garden? Mm-hmm. Well, I speculate that it has something to do with free will. God could have made us autonomous robots who just always did exactly what we were told, what he created us to do. But I do believe that putting a tree where a man could have a choice was part of free will. God gave us free will. It's obvious that the angels have free will. There are many points in Scripture where angels disobey Elohim, they fall. We'll get into some of that as well. But I think it has something to do with free will. Yeah, I agree with you because, you know, if you take away the freedom to choose, you take away a lot of the greater goods that we see in this world. If you destroy somebody's ability to love, you also take away hate. And if you take away fear, you take away courage. So there's a lot of these higher goods that we only know by having free will. And I agree with you on that concept. So let's get into some of the other interesting things, marginal mysteries in creation. When did the sharks and the T-Rexes, for example, start to eat meat? Were they created as meat eaters or did they become that over time? So nothing was created as a meat eater. It says in Genesis that the green herb was given to mankind and the animals as food. That tells me in Scripture that T-Rexes, sharks, wolves, that they ate green herbs. So at some point, obviously, T-Rexes and sharks, as you asked, became meat eaters. There are three likely places in Scripture. Probably most likely would be the fall of mankind, when God banishes Adam and Eve out of paradise, out of the garden. Plants will now have thorns. And that was Mm -hmm. something that was created at the moment or mutated at the moment. So likely at that point, probably 
maybe sharp teeth on the sharks or the T-Rexes, but along with the fall of man, that is that is a, one possibility. Another possibility of uh, animals becoming meat eaters is the corruption of the Nephilim. That's chapter seven in the book. But also another point where uh, animals could have become meat eaters was after Noah steps off the ark and God has his covenant with creation. That is the point where God tells mankind that he can now eat red meat before man was not allowed to. The interesting side point on that, men lived to be into their 900s before the flood. Red meat, a little bit of the iron in red meat stays in your body every time you eat a steak or anything, hamburger, red meat. If you lived to be 900 years old, you would prematurely die from all the iron in your body from Mm. eating red meat. Mm. But because we live at most 120 years after the flood, we can eat red meat without worrying about dying from the iron. That's a side note. So, yeah, the third possibility is the covenant between God and Noah when God puts his rainbow in the cloud and says that mankind can now eat meat. But I think the most likely is probably at the fall because we do see the thorns appearing, which were not before. So um, I don't know, but likely at the fall of mankind is when animals started to eat meat, some of the animals. That's one thing I've wondered is, you know, if the animals were on the ark as meat eaters, did they have huge stores of meat, you know, for those animals to eat? But if, as you say, that that would make more sense in one sense, because on the ark, the animals are there. They're not eating meat. They're eating. All of them are eating plants. Well, God does say to Noah to take seven of, I think, seven of clean animals. Mm-hmm. What are clean animals? Because Levitical law wasn't for thousands of years later. True. When, you know, you say a pig is unclean, this is clean, kosher and all that, the cloven hoof. A lot of people just associate Levitical law of what is a clean animal with what God tells Noah to do to bring onto the ark. Could a clean animal be an animal that was not corrupted by the Nephilim? So we're not 100% sure that a clean animal means what we know as today as a clean animal. So it could mean that uh, meat eaters were not animals that were brought onto the ark. Animals were likely put to sleep. God had them sleep. So whether they were meat eaters or not, I don't think they would have rampaged and ate every other animal. So, right. uh, But, you know, that's all speculation and fascinating to study. It is. It is. And another big mystery when it comes to creation is what happened to the Garden of Eden? The Garden of Eden, is it under the Bermuda Triangle? During the flood, I believe that Pangaea, the one landmass, broke up into the many continents in the subsequent years after the flood as Noah's descendants spread throughout the earth. I believe that the continents were much closer together. People were able to get to what is now Australia, Antarctica, the Americas through land bridges and natural means without having to build giant sailing ships. Those were in the days of Peleg. The Bible says in the days of Peleg, the earth was divided. So what happened to the Garden of Eden? Is it under the Bermuda Triangle right now? Is it uh, at the North Pole? Is it under the ice in Antarctica? There's all kinds of interesting theories, which we do get into in the book. There's a fascinating map, Mercator, popular for making flat maps that sailors can sail. And Mercator is the first person to draw a map of the Arctic in 1589. It's 1580s. And he drew in the Arctic the description of the Garden of Eden, a magnetic mountain with four rivers flowing from it Hmm. and uh, land masses surrounding those rivers. Of course, there's nothing there today on Google Earth. People will say evolutionists, scientists, whatever will say there's nothing there. But Mercator drew what looks like the Garden of Eden at the North Pole. So fascinating. Hmm. Where is the Garden of Eden? I speculate that the Garden of Eden is in the spiritual realm. I speculate that the Garden of Eden is paradise. I'm not an expert on paradise and heaven and the differences, so don't get me wrong on this. But the Garden of Eden is called the paradise of God. The Garden of Eden is on the holy mountain of God. Satan is cast down from the holy mountain of God. In the millennial reign, Zion comes down, the holy mountain of God comes down into the paradise that is the millennium. So 
I think it's possible that after the banishment, sometime before the flood, that God took his holy mountain, the Garden of Eden, back into the spiritual realm. Mm. Synonymous with that, there's some fascinating things. When God creates Adam, God does not create Adam in the Garden of Eden. Genesis says God takes the man whom he had created and placed him in the garden in the east. Right. Well, the Bible says in the east. What does that mean was to the west at the time God placed Adam in the garden? Does that mean there's something to the west of it? Or was that mainly from the person writing Genesis, maybe maybe Moses? Whoever wrote Genesis, did they know that the Garden of Eden was in the east? That's why they said he placed him in the east. You know, it's all kinds of interesting things. But where is the garden? I don't know. I speculate that it's in the spiritual realm. To back that up a little bit, in Revelation, we know the tree of life. Life is in the garden. Yes. That's why God banished man, so that mankind would not eat of the tree of life and become like Elohim. God says, let us banish him lest he become like us. But in Revelation, we read that the tree of life has 12 different types of fruits. A river flows under it, of which life is given to the nations, and it is in paradise. So at some future point in our existence, the tree of life is in paradise in the garden of God. So is it there right now? Was it taken away from the physical realm at some point? I don't know, but it's likely that it is what we know as paradise. We are talking with Micah Van Huss about a lot of very, very interesting and fascinating topics. He is the host of Marginal Mysteries, which is a division of Southwest Radio Ministries. We are discussing in particular today his brand new book, The Earth As It Was, You can pick up a copy of this fascinating volume by calling our ministry at 1-800-652-1144. Also, order online. Our website is swrc.com. Pick up a copy of The Earth As It Was, and you can find out a whole lot more about these fascinating topics that we're discussing in studio with Micah Van Huss. We'll go on now and talk about some of the firmament and what was different about the antediluvian world in terms of the firmament. As I briefly stated earlier, I do believe that there was a layer of ice in our atmosphere before the flood of Noah. I think that uh, when the Bible says that the windows of heaven were opened and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, that that truly meant that the firmament was broken and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. What broke the ice canopy overhead? Was it a comet? Like a lot of non-biblical folks like to say, it was what destroyed the dinosaurs. Definitely a comet breaking through the ice barrier would have caused it to collapse. Mm-hmm. Also, Scripture says that the fountains of the deep break up. A common misconception is that people will say there's not enough water in the atmosphere to cover the earth. Well, the Bible says that the fountains of the deep broke up, and I believe that that breaking up is what broke apart Pangaea, what broke apart the continents. It was so much force that it shot rocks and ice into outer space, broke through the firmament, and caused partial collapse of the firmament. Mm. All kinds of fascinating things when it comes to the the destruction at the deluge. So in the antediluvian world, if we did have an ice canopy overhead, it would cause all kinds of different things to happen. First of all, there would be a whole lot more pressure on the earth than there is Mm. today. In fact, 1.6 times as much pressure as we have today. So when you look at dinosaurs, 80-foot-tall bronchiosaurus dinosaurs, they have very small nostrils, the size of a horse. They have very small lungs, lungs the size of a horse. Mm. Well, how does a creature that giant not die of oxygen deprivation with those small lungs and small nostrils? Well, with increased pressure in the antediluvian world, what we know as blood, our blood cells is what carries oxygen for us. With increased pressure, 
the plasma part of the blood, which is the liquid part that we see, mm-hmm. the plasma part also carries oxygen. So with more pressure, we have more oxygen carrying around. So you don't need as big lungs as big nostrils. Not only the pressure, but there was also more oxygen in our atmosphere under the ice canopy. We have 21% oxygen in our air today, and the antediluvian world had 32%. Mm. And even scientists, well, they don't agree it was an antediluvian world, but they agree that, that our ancient world had 32% oxygen because... In the amber, amber is tree sap that is mm-hmm. uh, fossilized and hardened over, well, they say millions of years. Inside amber, we find insects, we find air bubbles. And in those air bubbles, you'll find 32% oxygen. Mm, wow. So there was a whole lot more oxygen, a whole lot more pressure in the antediluvian world. That causes animals to grow to be giants. That causes mankind to grow to be twice as tall as they are now, forgetting the giants in the Bible. Noah was probably 12 feet tall. Adam was probably 12 feet tall. Generally, what we see is everything was basically twice as big as it is now. Mm. Dragonflies, insects actually do get a little bit bigger because they breathe differently through their skin instead of through lungs. So insects do get bigger than just twice the size of a normal day. But anyway, generally in the fossil record, we have animals that are twice the size. So there's all kinds of different things in a pressurized atmosphere. Wounds heal much more quickly. Hyperbaric oxygen therapy is a medical treatment, which they put folks under pressure in these chambers to cure the bends if you uh, dive too much and come up too fast. Most NFL teams have these chambers to cause their players to heal twice as fast because you pay them a ton of money. You don't want them sitting on the sidelines with injuries. Pressurized medical therapy is something, and with that pressure, a fit human would be able to run for for hours without getting fatigued. So just a very different atmosphere in the antediluvian world. Let's bring that quickly into another question that I get asked a lot, and that is, how did Adam live to be 900? How was Mm -hmm. Methuselah 900? I do believe that the ice canopy, a water canopy, but the ice canopy would have helped block the UV rays from the sun. Mm. And without UV rays from the sun, we don't get genetic mutations that cause cancer, that cause aging. And so I do think that the water overhead helped block. There is a fascinating story from the 1960s of the Dickerson children. Their parents hid them in the attic because the landlord wouldn't let them have more than three kids. They already Mm. had three kids. So the next three kids they put in their attic. There wasn't abuse other than hiding them away, like we see with a lot of these situations, there are worse situations in the world right now mm-hmm. with children being prisoners and slaves. They were taken care of. They were fed. They were educated. They just Their parents didn't let anybody know they were there. They didn't let them go out during the daytime. Well, eventually, one, the boy got out of the attic and found the neighbors, and you know the cops were called, and they found mm-hmm. out that there were three children living in the attic. Wow. Well, they look like they're 8, 9, and 11, but actually the oldest is 18, mm. and he was 15. Their mental capacity was that of an 18-year-old, but the idea is that the sun's light never aged them. Mm. Also, in Scripture, you'll notice in the antediluvian world that men that were mentioned as having children were 130, 120, 140. We don't see men having their first children until they're in their hundreds. So I don't think that the antediluvian man was sexually mature until after 100 years Mm. or so. Now, we also see this in the future in the millennial kingdom. In Isaiah chapter 65, it says when someone is 100 years old, they will be considered a child. Men's lives will be as the lives of trees. Well, I speculate that in the millennial kingdom, when God, in my opinion, my timeline, when God remakes the new heaven and new earth, the new heaven means he remakes the firmament. So the sun's UV rays will not be able to penetrate in the millennium. And so we have a a paradise type thing, kind of like we had before the flood. That's all speculation, but it would have been a a fantastical environment for sure. I have so much more to say. It's in the book, all kinds of things from how the stars are enhanced, 
without the atmosphere that we have with the ice, the stars are still enhanced, so you can see a whole lot better. Yeah, and we are talking with Micah Van Huss about his brand new book, The Earth As It Was. You can get a copy for yourself and find out all the other information that Micah has put into there by calling us at 1-800-652-1144 or visiting us online, swrc.com. Let's go on to talk about some of the animals in the earth as it was. What about Leviathan in the Bible? So we find Leviathan mostly in Job chapter 41. He dons the cover of the earth as it was. Leviathan is a fascinating study. Some folks will say that Leviathan is not a real animal. Well, there are a couple of times that Leviathan is probably referring to a fallen angel or Satan in the Old Testament, but it's less than 50% of the time that Leviathan or serpent actually refers to an angelic being. So Psalms, I believe, says that Leviathan plays in the sea. So I do think this is talking about a literal creature. So Leviathan in Job chapter 41, the first few verses, I think up to verse 16 or 18, it really sounds like it's describing an alligator, but it also is describing Leviathan as the most mighty beast that God has ever created in so many words. But then after verse, I think it's 18 is where it picks back up. It says that he breathes fire. It says that his eyes shine like the morning sun, that the water behind him boils as he swims through the ocean. So we are talking about something that is much more powerful, much larger, and much different than an alligator. Though he probably Mm -hmm. had teeth and scales like an alligator. That's what Scripture says. He did breathe fire. Also, in Isaiah, I believe, it says that Leviathan has multiple heads. So it's not just a single-headed creature. Well, what I think Leviathan was was more like a hydra from mythology. Mm. And that's one of my main points in my book. Well, both my books I've written now for Southwest in Marginal Mysteries. One of my main points is that there is a whole lot more to mythology than people like to give credit, such as Hercules. One of his trials was to kill the Linarian hydra. Well, a hydra in that instance was a nine-headed dragon. Well, polycephaly is the mutation of having multiple heads, Mm -hmm. and reptiles are the most susceptible to polycephaly. In fact, snakes are the most susceptible to having polycephaly on our planet. Mm -hmm. So I do think when the scripture says Leviathan had multiple heads and that we see these things in mythology like hydras, multiple-headed dragons, I think there's a whole lot more to these things than people like to give credit. It's a fascinating topic, a fascinating study, and uh, if you uh, buy a copy of The Earth as it was, you'll see uh, Leviathan on the cover. And let's try to squeeze in one more fascinating topic today before we wrap up this session. We're going to come back next time, friends, for a lot more information with Micah Van Huss. Let's get to the Watchers. Who were the Watchers? So the Watchers are mentioned in Scripture. There's only one chapter. That's Daniel chapter 4 mentions the Watchers three times. It says, you know, I saw a Watcher coming down from heaven, a Watcher and an Holy One, and it kind of repeats itself a couple of times. So the Watchers, this is my succinct summary, the Watchers were the angels that God put around our atmosphere at creation, the end of Genesis 1, the beginning of Genesis 2, During creation, before the seventh day, it says the holy hosts of heaven were finished. So I do believe that the angels for the earth were created during creation. I speculate that there's more planets that Elohim has created on and that there are angels on other planets and that they can, you know, come between planets as Mm. they please. But anyway, angels were created during creation and God placed watchers around our planet to watch his creation. 
Now, a lot of what I talk about with the Watchers comes from the Book of Enoch. Mm -hmm. I do not take the Book of Enoch as inspired. I take the 66 books that we have as the inspired Word of God. Though after my studies, I do believe, my personal belief is that the Book of Enoch is correct history. One of my favorite things to do, one of the most fascinating things for me to do is read something in Scripture. There's some missing puzzle pieces, so I see a puzzle piece in the Book of Enoch or another book or another artifact or something, and then we come back to Scripture and we confirm what it says. So let's talk about the Watchers real quick on that. So in Genesis chapter 6, it says, There was a day when the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful, and they chose among them wives, all of which they chose. First of all, these are not, a lot of people say this is the human godly line of Seth. These are not humans because in Job chapter 2, the sons of God meet with God in heaven, and that's where Satan walks among them. So they're meeting in heaven. These are angels. These are not humans. Genesis doesn't give us a ton of details about what these watchers are. They just say they sleep with women, and then they have giants. It says there are giants in the earth. Their offspring are the Nephilim, the giants. Uh, Let's differentiate between the watchers and the Nephilim. The watchers are the angels who took on human form to sleep with women. The Nephilim are the offspring of the watchers, and the Nephilim are the giants that we see in the Bible and throughout Scripture, and the Nephilim are, in my opinion, all of the evil spirits that are on the earth today. Now, we're talking about demons. I do believe that there are princes of the power of the air, which I believe are fallen angels. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So, Mm -hmm. in the book of Enoch, the watchers descend on Mount Hermon. Shemyaza is the leader of 200 of them. They teach mankind all kinds of forbidden knowledge, from weapon making to makeup, to jewelry, to all kinds of stuff. Mm. And then they offspring the Nephilim, and God sees the corruption that the Nephilim have done on the earth, so God sends the flood to wipe out the corruption. Well, let's go back. There's plenty of places in Scripture from Isaiah that prophesies about the angels that will go into the pit and be ministered to. In the book of Enoch, God tells Uriel to warn Noah. He tells Michael to bind Shemyaza, and he tells Raphael to bind Azazel and cast them into the prison for 70 generations until the great day of judgment. Well, you read in Second Peter, you read in First Peter. Let's go with First Peter chapter 3, verses 18, 19, and 20. Jesus Christ dies on the cross. His spirit is on the earth for three days while his body is in the grave. The first thing, and this is scripture in First Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Jesus, when he dies on the cross, his spirit goes down into the abyss, and he ministers to the spirits that made trouble in the days of Noah. So scripture, many places, backs up what goes on in the book of Enoch. Jude chapter 1, verse 6, that quotes from the book of Enoch, and it says, The angels which kept not their first estate, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Isaiah chapter 14 prophesies about the angels that will be visited in prison. Now, I don't think Jesus went and ministered to these spirits. I think Jesus went and proclaimed his victory to these spirits. I think the translation's a little off. Man, there's so much to talk about, and there's so many examples, but it's fascinating to read in Scripture. Friends, pick up your copy of The Earth As It Was by dialing 1-800-652-1144 or by visiting swrc.com today. What did the Nephilim do to Elohim's creation? Did humans and dinosaurs coexist? How did men live into their 900s? What happened to the Garden of Eden? Did a layer of water encompass the earth? Find the answers to these and many more questions in the brand new book, The Earth As It Was, by Micah Van Hus. Join Micah as he takes a look at the antediluvian world and the overwhelming proof that the flood of Noah happened and changed the earth forever. You'll study the firmament talked about throughout Scripture and the effects that it had on humans. The Earth As It Was. 
Order your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order The Earth As It Was online, swrc.com. Tomorrow on the program, more insights on dinosaurs, giants, and the firmament with Micah Van Hus. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.